0: Good morning, everyone. <laughs> uh, I'm always excited to get up here and just to get a chance to share what I got to study all week and think about and ponder. And um, it, it just is continue the series that we've been talking about—good news now. And and re- we've been in the first gospel of Mark. It was the first gospel that was written. And uh, and Mark has, I think, a really just a real simple task or idea is that uh, he says right in the beginning that Jesus. The uh, the Christ, the Son of God, and he's re- and everybody at the time had a, an idea of what that meant. We all the Jews had an anticipation of what the Messiah was going to come and bring. They they had an idea what the Son of God, who the Son of God was, the Kingdom of God. They all had these ideas, but in in many ways, Mark's Gospel is to show that the Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, is going to be redefined. They're going he's going to redefine all the ways that they understood and perceived those things because Jesus really is just absolutely unpredictable. He, he, he's astonishing, and we've seen that the last couple of weeks. That you know, typically somebody uh, who would want to gather a group of people and 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 c- c- uh, cause a new uh, movement would would want to gather a crowd and continue to gather the crowd and have that crowd serve him and and. Uh, you know, listen to him and be at his beck and call. And reality is, is, we saw that as he was teaching with authority, which nobody at the time was doing, they, w- they wouldn't teach with authority. They just offer interpretation. And he's teaching with authority and talking about the kingdom coming. Um, and, and also that he was performing miracles, cleansing the leper and, and uh, casting out an unclean spirit from someone. But instead of staying there in Capernaum and the, the city of Galilee, he decided to leave. He, he actually started to walk in the areas of Galilee, going from one small town to another to continue to, to preach and to continue to cast out demons and those kinds of things, to preach in the synagogues and teach. Because he wanted to have a broad ministry, but he wasn't going to offer this broad ministry with pride, but with humility, to give himself away. And, and this is what I think for us is just absolutely amazing. As we were just saying, but also absolutely unpredictable. Because for us, I think if we were going to be doing this and other places where people have started other movements, again, they've always made it about themselves and and have you know just think of you know Mormonism and all these other cults. It's all about an individual gathering a community and having all these people around him. And and I think in some ways, as Mark is trying to undermine these ideas that the Jews had at the time or the people at the time then, I think the gospel of Mark can serve for us. He can, uh, it can make Jesus be seen new and afresh. That we can see him as shocking and astounding and, and still not someone that we can be bored by, can never exhaust who he is. And for me this week, I think one of the things that was just absolutely shocking for me was just the way that Jesus continue, get, continue, continues to give of himself and continues to be available to people. So I don't know about you, but for me when I have like a long week of teaching... Are um, just thinking about being a student back in the day, or even a teacher after a long term, when you, want, you get home, you're exhausted, and all you want to do is just check out. You want to stop. You want to cease. You don't want to be available to anyone. You want to sit down, you know, go make a nice cup of coffee or tea. I don't know what Peter likes because he doesn't like hot drinks, but maybe a marshmallow hot chocolate, and sit down and just not do anything. And not be really a be available. Kind of, you know, entertain yourself with TV or a movie or a good book. Some of you might want to get a project and go work with your hands. Um, maybe some of you just uh, like to just be alone, and not do anything. Um, and what's a, I think what was shocking for me was that, and this is just a reminder as well, is that oftentimes when uh, I want to be unavailable and want to check out and rest, uh, I will use, I'm tempted to use my authority as like a father or as a husband to, to kind of keep them away. Or when they do start coming to get irritable, so they don't want to be around me. And the idea, and I don't, it's not on purpose. It's just something that, it's all about me. They're interrupting this. And so I want them to get away and they go away. And, and so I think that, I think all of us can kind of, uh, hopefully can relate to that. Uh, hopefully I'm not by myself. That you come home after a long day's work or a stressful day, you just want to check out you just want to stop. Um, And I just think like my grandfather, for instance, uh, he, he, he reworked and refurbished cars in a garage and it was, the garage was separated from the house. And yeah, it's a good thing to go and have fun and have a hobby like that. But he spent hours and hours and hours and hours in there. And if you went in there, you either had to work for him or he'd get angry at you. So you didn't go there. And so he separated himself from his wife and his two daughters. because, And he just was never really available. Um, I, for my, my house, my family, uh, TV was the center of everything when I was a teenager. So you come home after a day and I would sit down, you know, get home at 3 o'clock, 3.30 when sports were on. And I would turn on the TV and I would be there for hours on end. And everybody else in the family would do this too, but they had TVs in their own rooms. We could totally disconnect and not have to interact with one another. Because after a long, hard day at school... We didn't want to really interact with anybody or work and anything else. But if you try to go talk to dad, he might get a little bit irritable. He might get a little angry. So you just, you avoided each other. And what's amazing here, we, this is where it picks up in the story in, in Mark in chapter 2, verse 1. After days of Jesus traveling from one place to the next, teaching the synagogue, healing people, he returns to Capernaum. And after, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no room, not even at the door. And so here's Jesus, and he comes back to his home, what is it, his home base of ministry. It's the, the home of Simon and Peter, the two, some of his disciples. This is their house the, near the Sea of Galilee. And he goes to sit down and just take a breather, take a rest. It's me time, you know. And he goes to lay down, and there's a knock at the door, and Simon and Andrew come and go answer the door, and they go back to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, there's some people. They've heard that you're here. They want to see you. They want to hear you talk, and you you can just imagine, you know, if we were Jesus, go, no, 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 no. Just tell them I'll teach tomorrow. I'll do some miracles tomorrow. I'm not really available right now. It's me time, and put a sign on the door and say, I'll be available tomorrow, and put a clock on there and say when I'm going to be available. Actually, what does he, what does he do? He He says he begins to teach them. He begins to invite them and preaches the word of God to them. And this is a house that's probably, you know, six six to eight feet tall, the ceiling-wise. And it's probably about, I think, about 15 feet wide. I know it's a little bit longer than that. But just think about a normal-sized tree. It's not that wide as a square building. It's, uh, you imagine just all these people cramming in. And you think of, like, ever been in the tube in London, like on a hot day? Like, really busy, you know, just kind of cramped into the stuffy air and all those kinds of things. Th- these people are cramming in so much that there's no room at the door. And they're probably starting to gather around outside the door so they can hear. And people are relaying the messages of what Jesus is preaching. So they can hear and see what's going on. And people are en- enraptured with what he's doing. And so they're, 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 uh, they're, you know, suffering with the hot air, the stuffiness to hear. him. that's how engaging he is. And they're all l- waiting to hear what he's saying. And what is he going to do? What is he going to do? And so it's, it's, he just preaches, he offers himself. Jesus, when he's going to probably go home and rest and cease and stop, he makes himself available. See, it's, because it's, 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 resting is not a problem. I, I, I think one of the issues you might be thinking was, well, isn't it okay to have a project? Isn't it okay to take a breather? Isn't it okay to sit home and enjoy some tea and coffee and take a break? And I said, yeah, Rest. It's a good thing to rest. Jesus rests. God rested. But they, he, God and Jesus are always available for fellowship. Jesus goes and gets away and spends time with his Father. G- God, after six days of creating, at seven days, he ceases and stops. But he's walking in the garden with his people. He's, there's fellowship. There's, he's available. And here, Jesus is available. He's available to his people. And, and then we, we move on to the story. And Mark says, and they come... Bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four men, and when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let him down the bed on which the paralytic lay. So, I'm sure a lot of us are familiar with the story. We've heard the story a lot. We've probably taught the story quite a bit. And I think what, what what could what could have happened is. You know, Jesus was here in Capernaum the last time, touching lepers, doing things that are just unbelievable, un- unpredictable. And the four guys and probably the paralytic said, okay, the next time Jesus comes, he might not be here very long. So let's, when he comes, let's get him to Jesus. Let's, whatever we can do, let's get him there. And so these four men, they hear Jesus in town. They pick him up and they go. And you can imagine uh, going to a door and those people are surrounded. There's no way to get in. And so Mark doesn't... Tell us this because everybody at the time would have known this. But there's a stairwell that went outside of the house. that would have gone up to the roof. And the roof was flat. And, and part of the roof would be you know, made of big beams from trees. But then interweaved with that would be branches and thatch and stuff like that. And then they would take clay and pat it down. And so they would go up there on hot days and sleep and store food. And so it was a really easy place to get to. So these men said, well, I can't get in. I can't get Jesus to come out. There's no way we're going to get these, carry this bed inside there. It's too stuffed for people. So let's go up and let's dig up the roof. You know, let's dig up the ceiling. And you, I, I just don't know. Can you can't imagine everybody sitting there listening contently to what Jesus and, and what he's offering about the kingdom? And then all of a sudden starting to see dirt come down from the ceiling. And, and, and I'm sure everybody started to stop and look to kind of like, what's going on? Jesus probably stopped teaching. And as the, the the you know ceiling is being ripped apart, people are probably looking up at the ceiling, and they're like, "What is Jesus going to do? What's going on? Is this planned?" What's, you know. And as the, the 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 hole gets bigger and bigger, they start to lay down um, the paralytic. The man has been paralyzed, and so I, I think about the expectations of everybody there. The expectations to hear something amazing, God, Jesus teach with authority, and then have. Some miracle happened, right? They're looking for a miracle. So they see this guy who's paralyzed, who can't walk. Oh, here comes the miracle. All right, we're going to see something great. We're going to see something amazing. And even the, the, you know, the paralytic is probably, oh, I get, I get to walk. I'm going to go home. The four men are thinking, yeah, this is what we brought this guy. We don't have to carry him back. We can go lock an arm and go back home and celebrate, walk with our friend back home. And Jesus says something that is... At, you know, they're expecting Jesus to say what? Pick up your mat, stand up, walk, go home. Something like that. Something like that. And Jesus, what does Jesus say? He says in verse 5, When Jesus saw their faith, He saw the faith of the five, five men, I think. He said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. And, and I think this is probably what the look was on everybody's face, including the paralytic. Huh? What? He, like, jaws drop. Silence. What, what What? are you doing? Huh? You know, the paralytic's like, great, yeah. You know, I think everybody at the time saw sin uh, as a, a cause, possibly, of sickness and disease and all those kinds of things. Um, but ultimately, the paralytic is like, well, yeah, that's great. Sin's, but I, I wanted to get up and walk. I want to walk. And, and the four men are down looking in, looking like, what are you talking about? We just did all this work. We dug up this roof to get him down. And he, sins are forgiven? I'm going to have to carry him back home? What? Well, what do you mean? Sins are forgiven. And then we see uh, the scribes in verse 6. Now some of the scribes are sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He, he is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? You think that the trained people who copied the text, who protected the law of the Jews, protected the traditions of the Jews, these guys are really smart. They know that things, what's going on. And they start to think in their hearts, who is this guy? Did he, is he, only God can forgive sins. Does that mean that he's calling himself God? And if he's calling himself God, that's blasphemy. That means this is a capital offense. Do we have to do something about this? And and there's, I think they're questioning and their heart's kind of like, what is going on here? Who is this guy? Again, more people, this is what Mark wants people to ask. Who is this man? What is he saying? What is he doing? This is absolutely shocking to everybody. And what's absolutely amazing is that Jesus meets their, astound, their, their shock, their, their needs, even in this. He says, immediately Jesus perceives in his spirit uh, that they're questioning or they questioned within themselves and said to them, "Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, "Your sins are forgiven, or to say, "Rise up, take up uh, your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, "I say to you, rise up." And pick up your bed and go home. And I think again, this is absolutely shocking. I think it's one again. It's it's, it's Jesus kind of astounding us by why the way he gives of himself. He thinks because the Son of Man is a title coming from a book called Daniel that was written about 600 years before Jesus. And it talked about how God was going to give someone like the appearance of the Son of Man a power and authority over all peoples, all nations, all tongues, and that his kingdom would come and would never cease. And Jesus just calls himself the Son of Man. I, the Son of Man, have been re- given authority from heaven on earth to forgive sins. I have the authority to have judgment over sin. And I can have forgiveness of sins. And, and people are still going, well, we can't touch that. We can't see that. The paralytic can't see that or touch that. And he goes, well, because you doubt me, because you are skeptical of what I'm saying, I'm going to do something a little bit easier. I'm going to say to the paralytic, you stand up and walk, take your mat and go home. So that he could give the, the, them to see that he had the power of the intangible over by showing them the tangible. They can touch and see a man stand up and walk. Something absolutely amazing, something I think only God can do. Only God can forgive sins. I think only a God can make a paralytic stand up and walk and stay walking. And here you see Jesus just meeting their doubts where they're at. They're there and he's like, your need is to see that I am the son of man, that I have the power to forgive sins. So I'm going to raise this man up. And what is the, the man's response? He rose immediately, picked up his bed and went before them all. And you know, you can imagine as... Uh, the people have made space, They're all, and he's laying there. He stands up and walks out, and just the, the commotion of having to try to get out of the way so he can walk out. I, I was thinking, I wonder what the four guys up there, do they like run down the stairs to meet him outside, or do they jump down the hole? Because it's not very far. I mean, six feet. I mean, six to seven feet, you could just jump down the hole and join them as they walk out. I would think in excitement for me, I would go, you know, me, knowing me, I'd jump into the hole, onto the ground and, and join them walking out. Because it just, they're all amazed by what what's going on. And just see like the response. Everyone, all that were amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. And I think even the scribes who were doubting were amazed. Because he said all of them. All of them are amazed. But you get a sense of the beginning of two groups forming. You have some people responding to Jesus with skepticism, mistrust, and I would think we'll see later on some hostility. You're accusing somebody of blasphemy. The scribes are going to go after that and try to do you know do something about that. And there's the other response of praise, worship, and trust. And I think that's just beginning in this. Everybody's amazed by what Jesus has done. And so, what I think is, well, what, well, what is your response to this? Because what is your response to Jesus? Because. If, if 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 Mark is trying to undermine and change how we think or how the people at the time thought about Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, or even the Son of Man, the Son of Man was supposed to bring a kingdom that was going to reign forever. And we'll see later on that Jesus talks about the, the Son of Man is didn't come to be served, but to serve. He came to die and raise again. I mean, how, how can the Son of Man die when he's supposed to be the king over a kingdom that's supposed to rule forever? How is that possible? He's changing everything. And so my question is, is how do you respond to Jesus you do you respond to him with praise and worship and love and adoration and say i want that Je- want him to be my jesus i want him to be the one i'm going to give my heart to or do you are you find jesus at times boring kind of predictable i'm assuming that having looked at this story uh, that many of us heard the story many many times if not taught it in sunday school and in creche and other places hundreds of times oh yeah yeah the layman on a bed through the roof Jesus forgives of his sins. Yeah, yeah. That's what it's supposed to be about, isn't it? You know, we we know everything about Jesus. But why is it that we find things far more fascinating than Jesus? Why do we find entertainment, TV, movies, books, video games, whatever it is, um, addictions, far more fascinating, the World Cup, far more fascinating than Jesus, the one that... They cannot be exhausted. And somehow, my question is, is do, you, do you think you know fully who Jesus is and what he's like? Do you know fully how he feels about you? Because I think a lot of us walk around, including myself at times, don't really think that God and Christ loves me. I, I, that I don't really think and doubt that he likes me. That he wants to be spend time with me. That that he's actually available to be there to be with me. And what what I also think is that, uh, well, the, the, well just think about just the fascination of who Christ is that we can never really exhaust that. You know, think about why is it that those things are more fascinating than the word that talks about Jesus. Or even the scriptures that Jesus loved and adored. Think about Jesus and Paul and Peter and all the guys in the New Testament. They loved and adored the Old Testament. I, I know lots of us, including myself, sometimes go, oh, the Old Testament, that's just that's old and stale. But Jesus says it's all about me. And this is the scriptures that he loved and adored and spent time in and, and quoted and, and knew his father from. You know, it's just, can we find Jesus more fascinating? And maybe if you struggle with this, I would just say, well, tell God, God, can you shock me? Can you make me astounded by you? Can you show me you in a new way so that I can go, yes, that's the God that I love and adore. Can, can, you, can you say, God, wherever you need to reach me, wherever you need to engage my heart, I want to engage there, I want to grow. Because think about the need, uh we know that people needed let's say let's just say the, the the man the paralytic thought he needed to walk he thought he needed to get up and walk and so did the four men that carried him but his greatest need was something that he wasn't ready for which is to have his sins forgiven and his sins were forgiven the scribes the greatest need that they had was to answer the, the skepticism and doubt of jesus being able to forgive sins and he answered that. I mean, what son of man, the son of man with authority of, of all tongues and all people and all nations would have to prove himself to somebody else? he go, well, your sins are forgiven. Yeah, but uh, really? Are you, we can't see that or touch that. Well, if you don't take my word for it, I'm going to do something about it. Uh, if you're out of here, I can, I'm going to kill you, whatever. I mean, just think about what a normal king would do. You're going to question my authority? You're going to question who I am? And Jesus, no, he doesn't do that. He says, here, this is what you actually need. And he offers it. And I'm saying is, if God, need, if you have a need, tell him about it and he'll meet it. Have him engage what you need. And maybe it'd be surprising. Maybe you, something you won't even anticipate what you need. But have the audacity, the, the boldness to say, God, I want to grow. And whatever it takes, whatever it means, I'm willing to do that. Because I want to be someone who can say, here's my heart. I want to trust you. Jesus, whatever you want to do with it, please do in me what you would like to do. And then I think about, well, for us as a church, a couple of questions that I have, um, and I don't know if I have the answers to them, but, but what does it look like for us as a church to take needy people to Jesus or Jesus to needy people? Think about the, the creativity, the perseverance of those men who brought their friend, the paralytic, to Jesus. They, they dug a hole in a roof. You know, they, they didn't go, oh, well, you know, Jesus is over there. We can't really get to him and all these people. And we can't really call Jesus out here. He's not going to make it out here. So, okay, we did our bit. We, we talk him this far. We'll, we'll go away. Instead, they said, well, okay, we got to get him here. What's the other way to get him to Jesus? And they went up to the roof and they dug a hole and lowered him down. And I think about the faith of a man who was paralyzed, laying on a bed, precariously being lowered down a hole. I mean, there's, there's a lot of faith. There's people, there's people being creative in order to reach and get to Jesus. How can we take Jesus to people? Because, yeah, it's great. You know, I think one of the applications you could say is what, what we need to do, everybody, is go out and try to just ask a gazillion people to come to Trinity Chippenham and then we can have somebody up front tell them about Jesus and then they'll get saved and we did our job and we're good. It's just that easy. Just invite people to Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that's a terrible thing. Um, we, we are we are trying to do church on Sunday to where it feels safe to bring people here. We want to bring people here. We want to bring friends and family to church and feel like the only thing that's really going to get in the way is uh, is you know well, the gospel and people loving one another. Not all the weird ch- Christian church things. But I think it'd be far more effective if people who have trusted Christ and given their hearts to Him and say, "You're mine and I'm yours," and I'm going to follow you because whatever you do is just absolutely amazing and astounding. And you take that Jesus to the people um, that are in need. The people that need to hear it. Because the reality, the, the thing that's different between that story and our story is that, well, Jesus is with us. His spirit resides with us. We're one with Christ. Wherever we go, he's with us. He's joining us. And let's join his ministry and go reach people that are in need. Just like these men took the paralytic to Jesus to meet the needs that they thought he had. The other question that I have for us is what does it look like for us to shock people with Jesus? How can we, as a community, undermine the ideas of what people think church is, what people think Christians are, and who they think Jesus is? Because... I think so many people don't come to church or not even open to the gospel because they think they know what church is like. They think they know what Christians are supposed to be about. And they think they know what Christ is like and who he is. And the reality is they don't. The reality is is that church shouldn't be the way that they think it is. And How can we shock them and astound them with the unpredictableness of Jesus? How can we tear down those false assumptions in order to present Christ to them. Because just think about the awe and the fascination that all those people in that room had of Christ at the time. He is the son of man? And he just, just, what? Who is this guy? I want to follow him. I I trust him enough to give him my life. I'm going to follow wherever he goes. I'm going to drop everything, my business, my life, and follow him. Think of Simon and Andrew and the disciples. They drop everything to follow this man because of who he is and how he does things differently. How can we present that Christ to people in this community so that they can be transformed by the glorious love of the Trinity? How can we offer Christ in such a way that they go, I I don't know everything about Christianity, but I I see Jesus and I want him. How can we do that? How can we be astounded by the Christ that that gives of himself? And, And for us too, we can't offer that to people unless we're astounded by the way that Christ has given himself to us. So I say, seek after God, ask the big questions, ask God to be shocked by you, ask to, to grow in him, and also try to ask God, how is it that we can shock the world, shock Trinity Chippenham, and continue ourselves and our own groups with the amazingness of Christ who gives himself away. Let me pray. Father God, uh, wow, it's so, it's so amazing to think that... Uh, You're indescribable. You're uh, uh, untamable. We can go to you and just spend all eternity looking and seeking and and getting to know you more, loving you more, and we'll never be exhausted. There'll never be places where uh, you can't continue to astound us. That heaven and eternity, which begins now for us as we seek Christ, will never get boring. will never get stale. And when we find you boring and stale, it's because of our hearts. And I pray, Lord, that we would ask you boldly to change our hearts, to find you fascinating and fresh and new that we could want you to engage in places in our hearts that uh, we need you to engage. Uh, Lord, I thank you for uh, just your word and just how even if it was written 2,000 years ago, it's so relevant to our hearts. Um, yeah, Lord, I just uh, thank you so much. May we love you more and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.